Heavenly Father, we come to you today on Christmas Eve, grateful that the God of the universe, you God, would become one of us in this great scandal of epic proportions. You God would bridge the gulf and come to us in a humble child. Heavenly Father, we are eternally grateful for Jesus. We are eternally grateful for the salvation that we have in Christ. That you did not leave us to our own sin and lostness. We worship you, God, because you came to us. And so in this time, as we look at your word, would you be honored in the proclamation of your word today? Would you change us? Holy Spirit, we invite you on Christmas Eve like every other Sunday of the year, to change us through the power of your word. Let this not be my words today, Heavenly Father. Let this be the words of your Spirit speaking to us. And let each of us walk away from here changed because of the power of your Holy Scriptures and the power of your Holy Spirit. So on this Christmas Day, we commit these offerings to you, asking that your kingdom would advance through the work of Waukee Community Church And as a family, that we would grow in love for each other and grow in kingdom work to transform this world by the power of Christ for the kingdom of God. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you need to open your Bible to Malachi chapter 4. And uh, we're going to be looking at the first five verses of Malachi chapter 4. And as you're flipping there, I want to remind you, uh, we have been talking for the last six weeks about Beza Threads, our organization that we partnered with in Ethiopia that brings kids out of of indentured servitude, slavery in essence. And uh, if you, you can buy these scarves, and these scarves go towards, uh, they've been made by kids in, in Ethiopia who have been rescued. So... I know some of you, like me, had just remembered, oh, I forgot to buy a Christmas present for so-and-so, okay? Now is your chance. There are four scarves, I think, four or five scarves left. After the service, you can see Jane Johannesson, and she would love to hook you up with a scarf so you can give that to someone for Christmas. Okay, so Doug mentioned that tonight we're having a special Christmas Eve service. Uh, I don't know if Doug meant to say that This one must not be special, Um, but the next one is truly special. So uh, you, actually, I kind of like that because this is normal on a Sunday. This is what we do. We worship God together. We look at his word and we're changed because of it. And so we'll just continue that process today and do what we normally do. Tonight, we will uh, look together in this special candlelight service for Christmas Eve. All right. In anticipation of Christmas, we're going to look at Malachi chapter 4. Let me read it for you. Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be, uh, will be stubble. And that day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. But for you... Who revere my name, the Son of Righteousness, will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go out and leap like calves released from the stall. Then you will trample down the wicked. They will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I do these things, says the Lord Almighty. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees 
and laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. There are often things in life that we anticipate. We anticipate Christmas, don't we? We look forward to and get excited about what's going to happen at Christmas. There are other things that we anticipate. And usually when we anticipate things, we see one aspect, maybe joyfully, but sometimes we don't always see another aspect that might be terrifying. So for instance, I remember at 16 years old, anticipating giving, getting my driver's license, being so excited to drive a car on my own independently. I didn't anticipate two days after I got my license wrecking my car, right? Like, good, bad. I uh, remember being so excited to have my first child. Uh, when Nicholas was born, I was so excited. I looked forward with anticipation to his birth. I didn't anticipate never, ever sleeping ever again. Like, I just didn't see that coming, right? Uh, I remember excited to own a house on the one hand, you know? Excited to own my first home. I didn't really anticipate what it's like to have a mortgage and taxes and all the responsibility to keep the house up. And there's one aspect, another aspect. Take going to the dentist, for instance, Okay, there's not two aspects for that. That's just horrible. But you get the idea, all right? So there's two aspects to everything. We have a phrase, an idiom in the American English where we like to say there's two sides to the same coin. Uh, I went and got a coin today. Uh, Ben will throw a picture of the coin I got up here. This is the 50-cent piece. It's the largest coin I could find. Uh, I don't think a lot of people have probably ever seen one of these or or held one of these. You can get them at your bank. They really are real coins. Uh, But the largest coin, there's two sides to every coin, right? You got JFK on the one side of this coin, and then on the back, you have uh, just a significance of the United States of America. Some of these 50-cent pieces have the Memorial Hall in Philadelphia on the back of them. And so the idea is on the one side, you look, you see, look forward or you look back to whatever president is there. On the other side, it helps you look to something else. But there are two sides to every coin. And what we mean by the phrase, there are two sides to every coin, is that there are positives and negatives to any situation. More generally speaking, we could say there are different perspectives to any situation. So when we look at something with anticipation, The event usually has more than one aspect. It's not always pleasant. There is usually an unpleasant aspect to just about everything. There are two sides to that. There are something we look for with anticipation and maybe something we look at with dread. Did you know that Christmas has two sides to it? We're in this series called Great Expectations, and we were reminded that Advent is a, series, is a time where we look forward to Christmas. We light these candles each week to remind us that the birth of Jesus is coming. And, and the aspects we've looked at over the last four weeks are we look with waiting and hoping. Last week we looked with wanting, and right now today we're looking about anticipation. The prophets saw the actions of the Messiah from their perspective. 
So each week we've looked at a prophecy of the Old Testament, how they saw the birth of the Messiah, which was coming yet in their perspective. And they couldn't always understand, these prophets, that there were two sides to the Messiah, two aspects. We could say there are two comings to the Messiah. We, would, we know now that there's the coming, the first coming in the manger, and then there will be the second coming in glory of our conquering king. They couldn't always distinguish this, the prophets. Did you know there are two sides to Christmas? There are two sides to the advent of the Messiah. We need to learn to wait in anticipation for all aspects of his coming. And today I hope to help your anticipation for tomorrow's Christmas Day celebration in your home or with your family. And so to do that, we need to turn to the book of Malachi as we look at another aspect of a prophet and his his prediction of the Messiah coming. Tonight, we'll come back and we'll look at Micah for our last piece of this. But today, Malachi. And there are two sides of Christmas. The double siding of Christmas are actually, there's a couple different aspects that I want to talk about today. And the first one, if you're taking notes, the first thing you want to need to know is that in the two sides of Christmas, there are two sides to the day of the Lord. There are two sides to the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is a phrase that appears over and over and over again in the prophetic literature of the Old Testament. We are in the book of Malachi now. Last week we were in the book of Isaiah. So we're about maybe 300 years have passed from Isaiah to Malachi. The people since Isaiah's time have been exiled and have been returned to their land for a while now in the book of Malachi, they've been back in the promised land, trying to rebuild this devastated land. And then what they've discovered, the people of Malachi's day have, they discovered that life is hard. Life is hard. It's not been easy. They've just sort of settled into their life in the book of Malachi, these people that Malachi are addressing. And they've just settled into a routine that kind of included God. For most Americans, we can relate to this. Most Americans we know that church is just something you fit into your life, that you go through the motions. And Malachi was writing to a people who were going through the motions. In the midst of this prophecy to these people who are going through the motions, Malachi slides in here this prophecy about the day of the Lord, the coming of the Messiah. And so he writes both encouragement and convictions. These are the, the words that we're looking at today are the final words of the Old Testament. They're the, they're, these are it before we get to Matthew chapter 1 or Luke chapter 1 or all these books. We get, before we get to the Gospels, these are the last words. And do you feel the tension here? It's going to be 400 years from these words till Jesus comes on the scene. Now, do you feel the tension? Listen to this phrasing again in verses 4 to 6. Remember the law of my servant Moses and the decrees and the laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. See, I will send the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. Do do you feel the tension there? We got a great day of the Lord coming. A great day. One side of the coin, a great day of the Lord. The other side of the coin, a dreadful day of the Lord. Well, which one is it? Is it great, Malachi, or is it dreadful? Which side of this coin are we talking about? 
The word dreadful here, uh, some would say awesome. Uh, some of your versions of the Bible actually translate it, great and awesome day of the Lord. And, and we don't understand the word awesome anymore. I use the word awesome all the time. And I mean, that's awesome. That's fantastic. That's great. You know, awesome, totally tubular. Actually, I never say tubular. But I don't remember anyone ever saying tubular. Maybe some of you are older than me and remember that. I don't remember anyone saying that. But I digress. The whole point is that when we say awesome, awesome doesn't mean awesome like we use it. It, it means dreadful, awe-inspiring. There, there's a sense in, in this where we have an awesome fear that rises up. Something is worthy of our awe. Dreadful is an okay translation of this because awesome has lost its meaning. There is an awe-inspiring aspect to the day of the Lord. He says in the, in the passage in verse 6, so we got great and dreadful. Then he says, he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. Oh, that's so nice, isn't it? And then he says, and I will come and strike the land with a curse. Oh, man. Like, it, it, I mean, Christmas, come on. We see these two aspects of this two-sided coin in the day of the Lord. Christmas is always tied to the day of the Lord. Listen to these two aspects of the day of the Lord throughout the Old Testament prophets in particular. In Joel chapter 3, the day of the Lord is described as a day of blessing. The mountains shall drip sweet wine and the hills shall flow with milk. That sounds nice. Amos chapter 9, he speaks of the day of the Lord as a restoration of the temple. Well, that's good. Micah 4, he speaks of gathering the outcasts and reassembling the injured and the lame. Well, that's good. Zephaniah 3, the day of the Lord is a, a day of pride where those who follow God are not put to shame. Zechariah 2 says, on the day of the Lord, I, God says, will dwell in your land. Well, these are good things. These are day of the Lord is a day of blessing. But then it's a day of judgment too. Look at Amos chapter 5, 18. Let me read this for you. Woe to those of you who long for the day of the Lord. Huh, wait a minute. Woe to you who long for, well, I just heard all these nice things. Why wouldn't I want to long for the day of the Lord? Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. Why do you long for the day of the Lord? That day will be darkness, not light. Huh. Well, Merry Christmas, Dave. Like, <laughs> hmm. Look at verse one now. Read this. Surely the day of the Lord is, surely the day is coming, the day of the Lord. It will burn like a furnace. Do you see what Malachi is picking up on? This history of the day of the Lord. Two aspects of it. There are two sides of the same coin. Great for those who fear the Lord. Not so great for those who ignore the Lord. Great and dreadful. Most people don't think of Christmas like this at all, do we? We don't. We think of a nice little baby a manger, Christmas present, so it's blessing, blessing, blessing. Most people don't think of Christmas in terms of the fear of the Lord. But the, the great and dreadful day of the Lord, this day of the Lord that is marked by the first advent of Jesus coming into this world, the first aspect of this is that it is great for those who fear God, who through faith in Jesus believe that God has covered over their sins. I mean, isn't this one of the many blessings of Christmas? That in the midst of our sin and lostness, in the midst of us in the dark, 
John says the, the light came into this world. The darkness couldn't overcome it. In the midst of this darkness, God came to us. The, the last thing probably anyone really expected to happen is that God would come to us. And so in the midst of this coming to us, God met us in our sin. And of course, Jesus grew up a sin, sinless human being who being fully God and fully man would allow himself to be crucified and his blood shed for the sins of all those who would believe. His blood covers over and it's through faith in his death, his resurrection. It's through faith that the Holy Spirit comes and we are saved. We are regenerated. And this is the gospel. This is the great day of the Lord. For those who fear God, it is great, not dreadful. For those who do not fear God, it's dreadful. Judgment is coming. And we might think judgment on Christmas isn't very Christmassy, but it is exactly that. It is exactly Christmassy. Think about this. A holy God entered this world. If the shepherds understood that day what they were meeting in the stable in Bethlehem, if they understood what they approached in Mary's arms, that child, if they understood that this was God incarnate, they would have run for their lives. The manger might be the scariest thing in existence. It should be terrifying. A holy God came to us. Like Isaiah, the prophets or the shepherds would have said, woe is me. Like, just like Isaiah, I'm ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips. I come from a people of unclean lips. I have seen the Lord Almighty. If the shepherds truly understood, but this is the miracle of Christmas. God calls us brothers. He puts his arms around us. God with us. You see, the day of the Lord is both great and dreadful. How can you go tomorrow... I want to know, tomorrow morning, how can you go by just merely opening presents? How can you get by tomorrow knowing that this day of the Lord marked by the coming of the Messiah is merely about presents and food and more sugar than that you ever should have in your entire life tomorrow, right? How can you go this way? Watch Hallmark movies and it's not you shouldn't do those things. It's just merely doing those things. The manger should remind us that God is the infinitely powerful one. And Christmas is serious business. I've been quoting Dietrich Bonhoeffer a lot this Christmas season as I've engaged in, uh, in this Advent book that we have been talking about. Listen to what Bonhoeffer says from a, a sermon that he preached in advance of Christmas. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a guy who understood what it meant to live for Christ, and he stood up to the Nazis and said, this is not Christian faith. And he ended up in jail and lost his life. But look at what he said in a sermon before Christmas. He says, in eight days, we shall celebrate Christmas. And now, for once, let us make it really a festival of Christ in our world. It is not a light thing to God 
that every year we celebrate Christmas and do not take it seriously. His word, his word holds and is certain. When he comes in his glory and power into the world in the manger, he will put down the mighty from their seats unless ultimately, ultimately they repent. With the Messiah, with Christmas, comes the aspect of blessing and judgment. And there are two sides of the day of the Lord. Jesus comes and it's great and it's dreadful. Great for those who fear the Lord, dreadful for those who do not. And that's the first two-sided aspect of Christmas. There's a second two-sided aspect of Christmas in this passage that I want you to see. Not only are there two sides to the day of the Lord, there's also two sides to waiting. There's two sides to waiting. I don't like to wait for anything. I don't. I want everything right now. Uh, this morning I was frustrated because the microwave took a minute instead of 30 seconds to heat up uh, the thing I was in. I mean, I'm just, we're so impatient. We don't like to wait for anything. Tomorrow morning, it's going to be so great. Oh, you guys, I actually, normally, here's how, uh, I, I'm a horrible gift buyer. I just, I just freeze, like in total fear that I'm going to screw it all up. And so I'm a terrible gift guy. This year, though, I actually thought of gifts for every one of my kids. Normally, Clarissa, you know, I just give her the money, and she does this amazing job. But this year, I picked out a gift for, for me to each of my kids. I'm really excited about this, right? I've been excited for weeks now. It's, but how it's important that I waited. Sometimes waiting, we just want to quit. We just want to give up. We just want to throw off all responsibilities, but waiting is about being faithful. The prophets of old waited for the first coming of the Christ. How they waited was important. There are two words here in the text that help us to, to understand how God wanted the prophets of old to wait and how we should wait. The first thing we see is in verse 4. Malachi says, Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. The first side of the coin of waiting, the first side of waiting is remembering. How we wait is important. There's two sides of waiting. The first side is remembering. This is not just remember. This is not just like me talking to my friends and saying, hey guys, remember when we were kids and we were in my basement for a sleepover and we got all my mom's hairsprays and created blow torches and burned each other's eyebrows off? Remember that? By the way, that's actually a true story. But that's not, uh, that's not, sorry mom. Uh, so uh, that's not remembering. Remembering is not just, oh, remember when we went tubing or we went skiing? Or, that is not remembering in the Old Testament. Remembering in the Old Testament is think about your history and what your history calls you to and now live in light of it. Do it. So for the Israelites, over almost a thousand years since Moses had given them the law, Malachi is entreating them, remember your history, but don't just remember it. Live faithfully in light of it. Walk in it. You know how faithful God is, now be faithful too. The first aspect of waiting, the first side of the coin of waiting, is looking backward and living in light of what we remember. It's hard to wait faithfully, especially when things aren't going our way. When our relationships are rocky, it's hard to wait faithfully. It's hard to wait faithfully when we're lonely. 
It's hard to wait faithfully when the future looks scary. It's hard to wait faithfully when the job looks uncertain. It's hard to wait faithfully when we look in our life and we just wonder, have I failed at everything I've ever touched? Then the tempting thing to do in those moments is either abandon your faith in God or go through the motions. Have you ever had a time in your life where you're just going through the God motions? You just show up occasionally at church, but you're so frustrated or so scared that you're not actually living out your faith in Christ. That's called going through the motions. We say, God, if you're going to let this happen to me, I'm not giving you my all. I will give you the minimum because it appears to me right now that you gave the minimum to me. And so while I'm waiting for stuff to pan out in my life, I'm going to give you the least. And that is called going through the motions. And that is what the Israelites are going through. And Malachi is addressing them saying, stop going through the motions. Remember your history. For you and I as believers in Christ, we remember 2,000 years ago that our Messiah came into this world Not only did he live amongst us, but he showed us how to live. We talk about this every week when you come in, you see it. We're bringing people together to live like Jesus. We remember and we live faithfully. He gave up his rights as God and became human. And so we should give up our rights for others. He let his God, the Father, let his son go to the cross. He sacrificed the greatest thing he could. So we should live in light of this sacrifice for others. Remember at Christmas when you open presents, when you eat your meal, when you have time as a family, remember that God came to you and to me. And not only did he come in a manger, he grew up and gave his life. Remember. The, the, the remember. The, the other side of the coin then of waiting, if one side is remember, the other side of the coin is found in verse 5. It's found in the word see. Look at verse 5. See, I will send you the prophet Elijah. See, there is something that's just about to happen. Whenever in the, in the Old Testament Hebrew you see this word see used, it's not just like, hey, look, pay attention. It's like, it's a word of anticipation. It's this thing where you're going to burst so you're because you're so excited about what's coming, you know? Like, you can't wait for it. These are the last words of the Old Testament. See, with great imminency and anticipation, the Messiah is coming. Elijah will come before the Messiah. Okay, who is Elijah? And I'm confused. Is Elijah the Messiah? Is Elijah not the Messiah? Who, I thought Elijah was dead. What's going on? Well, Elijah was a prophet that existed 
hundreds of years before Micah is writing, and Elijah is the quintessential prophet of the Old Testament. You had two great prophets in the Old Testament, Moses and Elijah. Elijah was one of these greatest people. Elijah's the guy that challenged the prophets of Baal to this contest, right? And, and he said, like, Who, whoever God will call down fire from heaven and light this altar on fire. You remember the story, the prophets of Baal go around cutting themselves and dancing and Elijah scoffing at him like, is your God on the toilet? What's wrong with your God? And then all of a sudden, uh, Elijah goes and fire comes down from heaven, just consumes everything. This is Elijah. Elijah is the prophet of the Old Testament. And the crazy thing about Elijah is, if you remember, Elijah didn't die. Elijah, when the end of his life came, he was taken up in a whirlwind. He he didn't die like everybody else. Now, this is not reincarnation that Malachi is talking about here. He's talking about a type of Elijah, a a prophet that ministers with the same power would point to the coming Messiah. See, Malachi says, this is, just be ready at any moment, this could happen. There's an, in, an urgency, an imminence. And it started over the generations, an anticipation of the Messiah. He's coming soon. And this is the looking forward. If remember was the one side of the coin, look forward is the other side of waiting. We should be excited about what's coming up. Now, I don't know if you're aware of this, but from the time Malachi's writing to the time Jesus comes on the scene. It's about 400 years. Malachi's talking about this as if it's imminent. It's 400 years. 400 years ago was a long time ago. I mean, about the same time that the same time between Malachi's prophecy and Jesus' advent, first advent into the world, it's about the same time if you're thinking backwards to Jamestown in our country, when Jamestown was settled in 1607. Now, that doesn't feel very immediate to me. Uh, Jamestown, you know, pardon to the historians that are here amongst us, but I don't really care about Jamestown. I don't really know much that happened to Jamestown. I hear it was important. It doesn't feel very immediate to me. But listen to Luke, what Luke describes about the anticipation that the Jews had for this moment 400 years after Malachi wrote it. Luke 3.15 says the people were waiting expectantly and were wondering in their hearts if John the Baptist might be the Messiah. Now, John the Baptist wasn't the Messiah, but he was the Elijah. This is 400 years later, and they're still anticipating it. Luke chapter 2, there was this guy named Simeon waiting for the Messiah. God told Simeon, hey, by the way, before you die, you're going to get to see the Messiah. The Holy Spirit told him. Do you think there was an excitement even after 400 years? Friends, they were excited for the first advent of Jesus. It's been 2,000 years since Jesus ascended into heaven and said, I'm coming back. Nearly 2,000 years. You and I should live, though, with the same anticipation for his return. We should live like this. We know that Malachi chapter 4 was fulfilled with John the Baptist. If you, uh, let me read to you Luke chapter 1 verse 15 where um, Luke talks about the specific prophecy in Malachi. Luke says, um, he, will never, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit from birth. Many of the people of Israel 
will he bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Luke is saying, hey, this thing in Malachi, by the way, John the Baptist fulfilled this prophecy. This is crazy. It's imminent. Friends, uh, Christmas should create in you a, a, a waiting and there could, should create in you a waiting of two kinds. It should create in you a waiting of remembrance by being faithful. Look back, engage your heart in what Christ has done for you. The first advent means he came in humility. Let's live like he did. The flip side is we should be waiting with excitement. Look ahead. First advent, he comes in humility. Second advent, he comes in power. And then we turn to verse 6 of the text. What's he going to do? He's going to return the hearts of the father to the children and the children to the father. And this is all about repenting. This is all about turning things back to the way they were supposed to be. And this is what John the Baptist did in the wilderness. People came out, they repented, he baptized them, they changed their ways. It was a symbol of a changed life. And you and I too should have a changed life. If you have faith in Christ, your life should reflect the Holy Spirit of God living in you. You should be different. Don't you see waiting should make you look backward. Should make you look backward. And remember, the waiting should make you look forward to and in anticipation for Christ. Everything when he comes back is going to be as it's supposed to be. So get excited about Advent. Get excited about Christmas. Because as I've told you over and over and over and over again over the last four weeks, when we remember the first coming of Jesus, we should automatically get excited about the second coming. He is returning. You guys know I have a lot of kids, so my kids span many ages. And it seems that the uh, younger ages, uh, my kids really haven't been interested in me that much. <laughs> like, you know, they're all about mommy, and rightfully so. She's way better than I am anyway. But uh, it's been funny uh, over the last few years with our youngest two, and particularly Malachi, he is mama attached. And some mama will leave to go to work or to do this, and I'll be home with them. And she hasn't been gone five minutes, and he'll say, when's mommy coming home? When's she coming back? I'm like, come on, what am I, chopped liver here? He doesn't care a thing about me. He just wants mommy. And eventually, he'll ask that for hours and hours. When's mommy coming back? When's mommy coming back? And then she'll call me and she'll say, hey, hon, i I'm on my way home about five minutes away. And I'll tell Malachi, hey, Malachi, mommy's home. And in particular, when he was younger, he'd run to the front door and he'd look out the glass and he'd start jumping up and down and getting so excited. Mommy's coming. Mommy's coming. Mommy's coming. And I'm like, don't run in the driveway. I don't want you to get run over by her. Come on. And so, you know, he's just jumping up and down in excitement. It's pandemonium. Jesus is coming back and we can learn something from a three and four year old kid. He's coming back. And we have lost our sense of pandemonium. We have lost our sense in this. It could be any minute. I'll never forget. I told you guys this story a million times. When Caitlin was like seven years old, I was, I was talking to her at bedtime. And this little girl, and, and you know, and I said, and, and you know, when Jesus comes back, all the wrongs will be righted. And she was like, what? Jesus is coming back? And I thought, how did I miss telling my seven-year-old that Jesus is coming back? 
She's so crazy. It freaked her out. You and I, friends, should have this anticipation. Christmas should draw us into this. Jesus is coming back. It could be another 2,000 years. I don't know. Could be tomorrow. He could come back before you open presents tomorrow. We should live with excitement. We should wait with remembrance and anticipation. Two sides of the day of the Lord, two sides of waiting, and we come full circle to our third thing today, that there are two sides of tomorrow, Christmas Day. For you and me, there should be two sides to tomorrow and what happens. Tomorrow morning, you're going to wake up. And it may be a frenzy, right? There, there might be kids in your house and there might be wrapping paper flow in all directions. Or maybe there's not uh, kids in your house and you're just excited about being there on Christmas Day. But you should stop and do two things. We come back to our coin. I think if we put together what we see in the day of the Lord and if we put together what we've learned about the two sides of waiting, we can see that tomorrow there are two sides to what we should do. And the first side is to remember Bethlehem. Jesus came into this world. God came to show us how to live. So we remember the incarnation. Remember judgment. Remember God's wrath against our sin. Remember that it was all poured out on Christ. Remember this. If you think of a fragile child, a helpless little baby, that the almighty God of the universe did this because of you and me. I mean, the cross is a miracle in and of itself. The, the incarnation that an infinite God would confine himself to a finite human being, never losing his deity, but giving up the rights to use his power. Oh, it's amazing. Remember this and remember faithfulness. Live like Jesus. Jesus is the perfection of the law. So if you want to know how to obey God, model your life after Christ. And tomorrow morning when you wake up and you remember Bethlehem, you should remember this and walk faithfully. Remember the judgment that is averted in Christ because he took it on himself. Remember. And then the second side of the coin for you and me tomorrow morning is imminence and anticipation. The day of the Lord will be great, and Christmas reminds us that he comes twice. Occasionally, someone in my family on Christmas Day will get a two-part gift. You know, like a video game system, part one, a video game, part two. It's very important that you get the order right of opening these gifts because if you open the second one, you're like, well, I don't even have a PS4. Why are you giving me a PS4 game? Oh, there's this excitement. And so, oh, because he knows what's coming, right? We unwrap the gifts in the manger, the gift of the manger. In essence, in the first coming, we know what's coming in the second Judgment comes for those who reject Jesus, but great things come for those who find forgiveness in Christ. And may you never look at the manger the same way again. May you fear the might of God wrapped in a baby. May you wonder at the humility of his first coming and grow in anticipation for his second coming. May you never again open a present the same way 
as you see the eagerness to rip off the paper, enjoy that, and let it remind you of the second advent. May you never see pain again the same way. As you remember the pain of lost loved ones, let it remind you of the second advent, that Jesus is coming back. And he rewrites the story. The curse of sin and death is reversed. Sin and pain are removed. There is truly joy to the world. As we close, we're going to sing a song. And I love the second verse. The second verse says this, No more let sin and sorrow reign, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found. There are two sides to Christmas. Would you find the blessedness of Jesus' advent on this Christmas day? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for Christmas. Thank you for the two sides of Christmas. Thank you that the day of the Lord means judgment and blessing. And thank you that you call us to remember and then live in great anticipation. There is great joy in this world because of Jesus. Amen.